It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. On the panel today, we have Kartik Krishnayar. My name is Christopher Harris. Now, Kartik, we're going to look at the past, present, and future, talking about uh, soccer television coverage and streaming coverage on this podcast. Uh, if we go back into the past, um, this is something I did um, this past weekend, and I was looking at, okay, how many podcast episodes have we, we released? And we've had different incarnations of this podcast. Uh, it started off as an interview show and then uh, morphed into a Premier League kind of review and, and preview show. Uh, then I think it morphed back into interviews and then it morphed into kind of a discussion of world soccer just in general. And uh, the latest incarnation, which has been running, running now for about three years, is uh, focused on the soccer media business. But if we take all of those episodes together, this episode right here is episode 1,396. Oh, wow. <laughs> which, so, uh, and this is like, I think our um, 16th year, or actually, yeah, 16th year of doing the podcast. So um, we started when we were like uh, mere, mere teenagers, or at least it seemed that way, I, I wish. But 1,396 coming up to uh, 1,400 before you know it. Kartik, does that make, make you feel old? Yes, <laughs> without question. I mean, I can still remember the infancy uh, of this podcast and, and listening to a, uh, an interview with Phil Shane while I was driving across the Sunshine Skyway Bridge over Tampa Bay between St. Petersburg and Bradenton, previewing the 2006 UEFA Champions League final between Barcelona and Arsenal. Yes, this podcast has been running that long. Wow, wow. What a game that was. So... If we look at, so that's the past, the present, Kartik. Well, present, we'll get into it a little bit. We've got some news and streaming information uh, and looking into the future too. But from what we've watched this past week, it's interesting because um, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail here. But for my family, so my wife and my youngest daughter especially, those two have probably watched more Peacock this week than they've ever done. Um, they're they're watching the Winter Olympics, and, and I'm trying to catch it as much as I can. Uh, they're hooked on the figure skating, and uh, but the UI, the user interface, and just uh, the way the Peacock works for the Winter Olympics is so much better than what it was for the Summer Olympics. Uh, so I have two fans in my house who are uh, Peacock fans. Kartik, I, I know you're into many sports from around the world. Um, and uh, you're very, very, very busy. Have you had a chance to watch any of the Winter Olympics? 
No, I haven't watched a minute of it, and I, I actually have no plans to because of where it's being held. But um, I probably would have checked it out otherwise, but truthfully wouldn't have watched much. It's it's interesting, too, watching this, too, because uh, some of the people on the even on the broadcast side, you got Rebecca Lowe, who's doing he's the the daytime host, and uh, I was watching it the other night too. And there's uh, Ahmed Farid, so some familiar faces. Uh, Rebecca Lowe's done a really good job of really um, breaking down the sports that are a little bit confusing or a little bit confusing to the mass media or mass audience, and explaining it, explaining it in a way that uh, is not condescending, but talks about the sport and helps the viewer under, understand the sport better. And I, I kind of look at that and say, okay, that's the same thing she, she, she did for the Premier League too since, since 2013, is she didn't dumb it down, but she definitely spoke to the audience and educated them as while at the same time as really kind of um, informing those people who already were hardcore soccer fans. So it's interesting watching Rebecca Lowe in action there on, on the uh, Winter Olympics. So no Winter Olympics, Kartik, but uh, have, you ever, have you watched uh, anything else that stood out uh, from this past week? Yeah, I, I watched, obviously, uh, Peacock and USA Network for the Premier League. I watched a lot of um, championship and, and uh, uh, FA Cup, etc. this past week, uh, as to be expected. Some Serie A as well, and uh, Bundesliga. The... Um, uh, and by the way, so on the Bundesliga, wanted to point out, this is interesting. So um, Dortmund is playing uh, Leverkusen simultaneously to Barcelona playing Atleti in La Liga. We know ESPN's priority of late has been La Liga. So they do the full ESPN FC treatment for the La Liga match. Kay Murray, who had, by the way, she was great all weekend long. Um, and and uh, uh, Craig Burley in studio, the usual thing. Uh, for the Bundesliga, Taylor Twelman, who, by the way, he had a long weekend, right? He called two FA Cup matches, both of which went to extra time, or, or was a co-commentator with John Champion on those. And then this Leverkusen-Dortmund uh, clash with uh, paired with Derek Ray. They had Archie Rintat and Jan Agafjord uh, at halftime on the pitch giving analysis and kind of feeding off of one another. Uh, at, I'm talking about, it, obviously, the Bundesliga match. And I really like that because I like both those guys' insights. Uh, they're both really good studio pundits. And even though they didn't have a host with them, they were able to kind of wrap off one another really well. And it's something I've never seen ESPN do, but I think they did it out of necessity because their studio, uh, hosted by Kay Murray with Craig Burley, uh, was, uh, was occupied with La Liga. So um, even though it's clear like Bundesliga is the second priority, Chris, they did an actually credible job of keeping someone like me entertained and and not channel surfing because those, like I said, those are two guys I like and I wanted to hear their their insights and and their thoughts. Um, and then the other I think takeaway was that um, the USA uh, Network halftime on uh, both Tuesday and Wednesday, which was hosted by Arlo White, uh, were from the Super Bowl, right? Um, which mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I, I don't uh, – <laughs> they could go there Friday, right? I mean, I'm sure this weekend it makes sense for them to be there, but I don't know why they're there Tuesday and Wednesday of midweek action. We're taping this Thursday morning, uh, Eastern time, I'm assuming, for the Leicester-Liverpool match. Uh, they will be there as well. Um, so – I'm not sure I like that. It was fine, right? I think uh, Arlo is uh, 
is very good as a presenter, and uh, and that's the right call for NBC to bring him in. While Rebecca Lowe and Ahmed Farid and, and presumably Paul Burmeister also are, are away on uh, Olympic duty, but. Um, I don't like the fact that they're at the Super Bowl on a Tuesday, five days before the Super Bowl. It's almost like um, between everything being bumped to Peacock and then this, uh, the Premier League is is playing major second fiddle this week on uh, on NBC networks. Yeah, NBC is like the masters of cross promotion, and uh, this is just another example of of them trying to cross promote. However. I don't think it's actually working so far midweek. I'm sure by the, the weekend it'll be different. But like for Tuesday and Wednesday, I tuned in to watch the games, and I think I was watching the games on uh, on Peacock. But there was no a pre-game. There was no halftime. There was no post-match. So I, I didn't see Arlo and the two Robbies on um, the, on the Tuesday games or the Wednesday games. Um, and also, too, it's difficult too because some of the kickoff times that start in the Premier League on uh, on Peacock at two forty five Eastern time, and then uh, the game that Arlo would have been doing some of the pregame for was for three o'clock Eastern time. However, with it being USA Network, you're not having half an hour or forty five minutes of pregame. Sometimes you have thirty seconds, or sometimes you have a best fifteen minutes. And it's going to be interesting, too, because this weekend also almost all the games. So for, so from I think from Wednesday through till Sunday uh, this week, out of the out of the 15 games, 12 of them are exclusive to Peacock on the English language side. So most of the games are on Peacock. And, and that's the thing that uh, still is clunky is the whole Peacock experience, because when I'm tuning in to watch Peacock, uh, I'm expecting also to have pre-game coverage, halftime coverage, and post-game coverage. And when you watch it on television, such on USA Network, it, it's seamless, right? It's like you don't have to kind of figure out which which. I mean, you just sit back and enjoy it. So this this to me is an example of that where it is, it's not perfect. I mean, in the way that they have it set up is a, is is very clunky. And let me see. Anything else from this past week? Um, I would say actually one more thing about Peacock too. It's amazing actually. If you've watched any game on Peacock in the past week since the Winter Olympics has started, uh, as soon as the game is over, so full time yeah. whistle, yeah. full time yeah. whistle, yeah. and within ten seconds they're flipping to the uh, you get the Olympic coverage. So they they kind of redirect you to Olympic coverage even if you don't touch the remote or anything. It happened to me and I was really frustrated by it and then thought that I had hit the wrong button, was blaming my Apple TV box, tried to exit out, exited back into the stream thinking there would be some post game and it was the Olympics again. Right, exactly. So I'm sure that's helping them as far as the number of views and helping to try to push more people uh, into, no matter what they're watching, if they're watching rugby on Peacock or soccer or whatever, to push them into watching the Olympics. And and, um, I'm sure some people stick with it and go like, hey, this is pretty entertaining. Uh, And and that it is. All right, Kartik, looking to the future now. All right, what about matches to watch this weekend? Uh, What's your recommendation? And, 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 and actually, and actually, last week's recommendation was top-notch, Kartik. You had Nottingham Forest against Leicester, and what a game that was. Yeah, I'm sticking with Forest again because what a game that was, and they continue to play well. They're now in the top six uh, under uh, uh, Steve Cooper, manager you're very familiar with. He's taken them from being a relegation fighter to a top six side. They host Bournemouth who now are back in second uh, under Scott Parker, but to me, just don't look a good side. They've spent a ton of money on bringing in reinforcements. This is Friday, 2.45 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Plus Championship. 
I, I, every season it's great, but this season in particular, it seems like it's really, really top-notch. Yeah, it is, absolutely. I, I don't think I've seen any any bad teams in the championship this season. You, you could argue that Wickham Wanderers last season were just uh, kind of basically uh, in over, over their heads uh, and, and, and played some entertaining football at times. But uh, Bournemouth against Forest, Bournemouth, I've, I've, I mean, Swansea have played against them. And they're, if you look at the squad, <laughs> and Bournemouth, you have to remember too, last weekend lost in the FA Cup to uh, Boreham Wood. But Bournemouth, if you look at the squads and uh, the caliber of players, it's better than most pre- Premier League teams in the bottom half. They've got a stronger squad than, than Burnley. They've got a stronger squad than Norwich. And you can go down the list. There's probably a bunch of other teams, too, that they have a stronger squad. They've got some really good players. Yes, they're misfiring. Uh, Forrest is just flying, I mean, which is so, so depressing for me, uh, having uh, Steve Cooper, former Swansea manager, now managing Nottingham Forest, doing so, so well there while Swansea's uh, having some tough times in the championship and probably end up mid-table by the end of the season. But yeah, absolutely. This is a, certainly a must-watch game Friday, 2.45 Eastern Time on ESPN+. My recommendation, Kartik, is a little bit different. It's uh, Palmeiras against Chelsea in the FIFA Club World Cup final, uh, which is going to be played on Saturday, 11.30 a.m. Eastern on FS2 and Fox Deportes. Uh, watching Palmeiras in the semi-final of this competition, they've got a ton of fans that have travelled from Brazil to uh, uh, Abu Dhabi to watch this game. Really, really intense fandom. And you've got the Chelsea fans too. A lot of Chelsea fans have come from London and probably across Europe to watch this game. Palmeiras um, seem both on the pitch and off the pitch. They are in it to win it. They are kind of full-blooded. This means a lot to them. And for Chelsea, it, they're definitely in it to win it, of course. You know, it's another piece of silverware. But I don't think the enthusiasm is there as much as it is for Palmeiras. This should be a really entertaining game uh, from both sides. Kartik, kind of in the history of this competition, which has taken many different forms over the last several decades, actually a few decades, used to be the Toyota Cup, used to be the Intercontinental Cup, used to be I mean, probably a whole bunch of other uh, cup, cup uh, names, but effectively it's the Club World Cup that, that we have today, kind of even the top teams from each of the confederations around uh, the world on a club soccer basis playing against each other. What would you say is the level of um, interest in South America compared to Europe uh, in winning this? Oh, it's much higher in South America. And it's a, it's a much bigger deal. Actually, I would say international football is a much bigger deal in South America also, as is this sort of intercontinental competition at the club level. And, uh, and the, uh, the thing that will be very interesting is when FIFA launches, now presumably 2025, the enlarged summer edition of the Club, uh, club World Cup, how, uh, how, how seriously that's covered in Europe with more than one participant and how much more seriously clubs push to, to qualify for that tournament from Europe. Yeah, it, yeah. From, from my experience too, it's been the same thing too, Kartik. So Palmeiras or South American clubs on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being just out of this world, wanting to win this competition, it's a 10 out of 10 for Palmeiras. For Chelsea... And Chelsea supporters, I would I'd imagine it's probably um, those based in the UK. It's probably maybe a four out of ten. It's not that important. Doesn't mean that much. 
Uh, but to many South Americans, it, it means the world. It means you can be champions of the world. It means that uh, you can you have a convincing argument that you are the best club soccer team in the world. For Chelsea, it, it is you mean coming at a difficult time in terms of the season, right? Uh, Palmeiras is probably getting ready to be playing in the Brazilian league, but uh, they've got a bit of a, uh, a break. Chelsea doesn't. But yeah, should be interesting. So far, up, up until this point, uh, Fox Sports 2 has had the world feed. It'll be interesting to see if they have one of their own commentators calling this game because uh, it is going to be a big one, Saturday, 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Contact TV streaming news now and uh, some interesting developments. Um, I'll have you start it off. Yeah, so uh, UEFA uh, with Champions League rights uh, have uh, sold to what we would call agencies or third parties. uh, And that sale has produced two winners. Um, Now, interestingly enough, the U.S. has been split (laughs) from uh from that and relevant sports has bought the u.s rights as the agency the broker brokerage agency if you will and uh, uh this is a uh this is really kind of a uh, a huge development and you have to think chris that uh relevant having seen how much cbs paid for it last time right and how turner tried to match that bid you know turner ended up bidding more in, in a losing effort than they did in a winning effort uh, a couple of years earlier, that and plus this being a three-year cycle, they see an opportunity and, and probably have already felt out, I don't know, NBC, ESPN, Fox, uh, about uh, Turner again maybe, about competing with CBS, and they think this is going to be a very lucrative and profitable business for them. Yeah, it's important to note here too, Kartik, and, and 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 you did a really good job of that. But but just to add to that is that uh, it's not that relevant uh, has the the rights to uh, broadcast the UEFA Champions League, but they've bought the rights to sell it. So, for example, um, with La Liga recently, Relevant had bought the rights um, to sell La Liga uh, and offer it to, to ESPN, to Be in Sports, to whoever uh, other t- types of broadcasters. And with this one, with the UEFA Champions League, now once the deal is up with CBS Sports, um, that will be coming up for bid. And then Relevant will be shopping that around to try to sell it uh, on behalf of the UEFA. Uh, on behalf of UEFA. So it's interesting developments because Relevant, when they acquired, when they got the rights to La Liga and said, OK, we're going to go ahead and sell this now uh, to the highest bidder, um, Relevant promised that they would sell the rights for, uh, I think it was like $2 billion. And actually, in, in North America, and they came through and actually uh, got more money for those rights for um, for La Liga um, than they promised. So they did a, a huge coup there. Uh, Michael, one of our um, listeners, and uh, posted this on, on our comment thread here for the podcast, Michael says, which Relevant owns... Um, International Champions Cup, that's their tournament. That's what they're best known for. But recently with the sale of La Liga rights um, in the U.S. and North America, uh, they're looking good. And they're, and they're more in the media rights business than they are in, in the International Champions Cup. So, And Relevant is owned by the Miami Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, billionaire. Michael says, one of our listeners says, uh, Stephen Ross is a smart, smart businessman. If he says he can guarantee $250 million for UEFA with these rights, that tells you he must have already have received confirmation from ESPN that they are willing to bid that. 
uh, ESPN had money budgeted for the Premier League. And when that didn't go through, that money is still budgeted. It also serves notice to CBS uh, Viacom uh, what the bidding will be starting at. CBS needs to decide if they are going to match that bid or, as they did with the Premier League bid, work with ESPN to split the rights. Now, we have no way at, at this point in time of knowing whether or not that is true or not. Uh, but it's certainly a good assumption that, you mean, imagine if you're ESPN or ESPN Plus or Paramount Plus uh, or any of these uh, streaming providers or TV networks. I mean, the Champions League is 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 the league. It's, it's top dog in many ways in, in terms of club soccer. It's bigger than uh, the FIFA Club World Cup. It's bigger than Copa Libertadores. It's bigger than the League's Cup. It's it's the, the kind of the crown jewel there. And um, in the United States, you know, whether it's games on Univision uh, in Spanish or CBS, as we'll see next week on over-the-air television, you mean you've got the biggest teams in the world, the best players in the world competing. So it's quite possible that uh, Relevant will be able to guarantee and hit that number, maybe even exceed it. And it is interesting developments that uh, worldwide uh, UEFA did a deal with another agency except for the United States. And the United States was the only one that uh, um, was different and relevant, uh, bought those rights, and will then try to sell those rights to the next bidder. And the Champions League is up, what, Kartik, uh Was it next season or the season after? This would be... I believe the first season actually of uh, CBS's deal, right? The actual first season, so it would be up after two more seasons. Yeah, and usually, kind of that middle season. So next season is kind of when those discussions start, and sometimes those deals are done mid-season of that second season, which is the twenty twenty two twenty twenty three season. So by the end of the year, we might be getting closer to to knowing uh, whether CBS has renewed those rights or whether it's going to be ESPN or, or somebody else that picks those up. Um, yeah, huge, huge story there, Kartik. Uh, one story, too, that we've talked about in the past, uh, just to mention real briefly, and that's WarnerMedia Discovery. Uh, their merger has gotten the green lights from the, uh, the U.S. Uh, regulatory uh, approval. So that is uh, going ahead. Um, uh, I should mention, uh, yeah, I should mention it, 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 it's kind of gotten the green light, right? It, the time to object has expired, so it, it's going ahead on a technicality, but it wasn't actually formally signed off on. How, however, it goes ahead, right? It, it, the legal, legally, it works the same way. Right, exactly. So um, perfect timing for Major League Soccer, too. So if Warner Media, uh, as you've written about Kartik uh, on the WorldSoccerTalk.com uh, website, uh, extremely interested in getting rights to MLS. And then the merger with Discovery, which Discovery in the U.S., most of us think of as kind of a uh, National Geographic type of channel or kind of more of a science type of channel, uh, but uh, owns Eurosport in, in Europe and um, is actually a major, major uh, broadcaster, um, especially in Europe and, and the U.S., of course. I think they own BBC America, too. I think they do. But um, a huge company also. Now, actually, Discovery is doing so, so well, uh, as is Warner Media. So this is going to be a real push, a real heavy hitter trying to get those MLS rights. And there's no guarantee that they'll get them. But they've got certainly got a really good chance of being a major player there. All right, Kartik, speaking of Major League Soccer, just real fast, too. It's uh, This weekend will be two weeks away from the start of the MLS season. Um, I wanted to ask you, too, as far as 
burning the candle at both ends, right? So you and I, and probably a lot of listeners, um, watch a lot of games in the early hours of the morning. So whether it's uh, Championship, Serie A, if it's the Premier League, of course, uh, French League, Belgian League, oftentimes a lot of us are getting up early to watch games. Sometimes we're getting up early to watch uh, a U.S. men's national team player playing in Belgium or, or in uh, in Italy or um, in Spain or around around the especially around Europe too, Major League Soccer games, of course, I mean played in the United States. Oftentimes, kind of in the evenings, sometimes kickoffs at 10, 10 p.m. Eastern. Games not ending to after midnight. Um, how do you feel about burning the candle at both ends? You mean is it doable and uh, is it worth it? Uh it, it's it's certainly doable if you're of a certain age. Uh, I'm beyond that age now. Um, I, I, is it worth it? Uh, that's uh, up to up to uh, up to everyone involved. I mean, I think it's tough to watch soccer all day, right? It's really difficult to do it all day uh, in front of in front of a television. Uh, it was really difficult back in the days when I worked. Um, in American soccer to watch matches in the morning from Europe and then have to uh, leave the house three three thirty whatever set up and be 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 kind of in the soccer thing till uh, ten thirty eleven somehow I did it um, but it's it's difficult and I think the thing we also found was MLS when they did the MLS's back tournament they seemed to do better. Ratings wise, with those morning games than they did with the evening game or the night games. So uh, there was nothing in between, right? They would have 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. basically, or 8:30 a.m., 8:30 p.m. So I think there is now a conditioning among many soccer fans, TV-heavy soccer fans, that morning is better, and then you get on with your day doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the question about uh, is it worth it? You're right, Kartik. It comes down to the individual, and it's one of those things that we all have different tastes. We all we all have different interests, and there's certain things about sport or teams or players uh, that interests us in different ways. So, so absolutely, for for some fans, um, they will watch more of the games from the United States or North America, and others will watch it from. You mean Europe? Others will watch it from South America or Africa around the world. We have so many choices of games to watch on a typical year there are more than 3000 soccer games that are either televised or streamed 3000 so there's plenty of choice plenty and, and for me it, it's it, it's hard i mean it's 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 my job and it's my work and I, I love it it's my passion but it is one of those things that sometimes you have to try to um really not get burnt out and just kind of you mean sometimes I, I watch games when it's convenient to me rather than going out of my way to um what watch a game you mean so sometimes if i've got a break in the afternoon for a couple of hours uh i'll, I'll watch two games at once or other times um you mean if there's a big game on at night i'll, I'll watch that but but it is, it is interesting too i mean we did a poll on uh, world soccer talk on on twitter and we asked uh, our followers on Twitter, how much are you looking forward to the new MLS season? Interestingly, uh, 34% said not interested. 23% said somewhat interested. 14% said interested. And then as far as very interested, it was 27%. So it's kind of, I mean, the, the, the interested level is, is the lowest number. The highest number is not interested. 
Um, and then the second highest is very interested. So it, it is very split. And, and again, too, I think for a lot of listeners, uh, it's if you have a team that's local to you, it's it's easier to get excited about it. If you don't have a team that's local to you, you mean you mean what's 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 the what's the hook? What is the interest and attachment to watching the league when you can watch any league from around the world or any team from around the world just as easily if if it, sometimes even more easily. So um yeah, definitely um it'll be interesting to watch and see how th- things go. Although in my case, strangely enough, there's a team playing 10 minutes away from me and I have no interest in that team. And I still have interest in the USL team. Granted, a USL team I once worked for, which is uh, 45 miles down the road. So uh, sometimes, right. you know, having a team next to you isn't necessarily uh, the team you, you, you doesn't pique your, uh, pique your interest if you already have an attachment to another team locally, which I guess is a South Florida phenomenon. It might be true in some other markets too, though. All right, Kartik, let's move on to listener listener mailbag. First up, uh, actually, before we get into that, too, we've had a really good debate on worldsoccertalk.com in the comments section of last week's podcast about the pros and cons of the NFL draft system and how alleg- allegedly um, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, who we talked about in the news segment, uh, talking about uh, International Champions Cup and also relevant and uh, uh, basically uh, winning the bid for the UEFA Champions League rights, how... Stephen Ross, the Miami Dolphins owner, offered um, allegedly the coach of the Dolphins $100,000 per game to lose in order for them to get the number one draft pick. And and that started up a huge uh, debate about, about that and in relation to soccer also as far as whether the draft is something in soccer, whether it makes sense or not, uh, to reward the team that comes in last place. Uh, with the first draft pick, you I mean it, it just uh, that's sets- one of the reasons I can't watch American closed league sports. I think it's the the dumbest thing ever are the drafts. And they're actually not only is it anti-competitive in that it it it, it rewards the worst team, but I think it also is is a effectively a wage suppression technique, which forces uh, players instead of competing for uh, on the open market for teams to bid for them, uh, a uh, forces them to sign a contract with whoever drafts them mm-hmm. yeah 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 so it's definitely been a great uh discussion uh from this past week and i'm, and I'm sure too on the podcast section of um, worldsoccertalk.com in the in the comments there there'll be some more deb- good debates uh coming up uh in this next seven days now u.s men's national team we talked about this on the last episode talking about uh kind of the pros and cons of how well the team's been doing but also specifically about the broadcasting of these games and how espn cbs and fox were so different in their coverage jake says uh i've got a thought experiment for you kartik and chris what if paramount plus got to do the games where the u.s might play well and fox or espn got the road games it's interesting because, because I mean, there's probably a couple of different ways you can look at this in terms of what Jake is uh, uh, offering as far as a thought experiment. To me, what it says to me, Kartik, it might be different for you, but what it says to me is that uh, how about how about Fox or ESPN getting the road games? And oftentimes those games are harder. And oftentimes um, in those types of games, it's more likely that the US may not play as well or, or may even lose. So having Fox Sports cover the u.s men's national team in a game where the performance is lackluster not living living up to our expectations and then fox having to broadcast and commentate and analyze that um i'm not sure if they're up for it 
On the other hand, Paramount Plus has had, other than the CONCACAF uh, Nations League and some some other big games, like, you mean, for, but for the most part, Paramount Plus has had the games where the U.S. hasn't played that well. You look at Canada, you look at some of the other games too, and, and they've been really enthusiastic going into a game and oftentimes at halftime and post-match are kind of scratching their head going, oh, man, you mean we, we can play so much better. What about what about you, Kartik? What's what's what was your thought experiment on this one? What did you think when Jake said this? Did you uh, take it on a different path? Yeah, I think that 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 that's kind of where I thought it might go. Uh, uh, was thinking that what happens if Fox, in particular, have to be more critical because the U.S. is consistently losing uh, these away games. Although, uh, truthfully, Fox has had a cheer of games where the U.S. has not performed well over the course of the last uh, last couple of cycles. Um, and and what happened? What happens if uh, if Paramount Plus gets all of the games where the U.S. is winning three 0 at home? So that's um, I think it goes kind of in the direction you talked about, and uh, it might maybe changes the way we view the pundits. Uh, yeah. I, I think uh, ESPN generally the presentation is consistent, but it might be very very different because uh, the 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 view that Lawless is very cheery and positive is not one I share. I actually, again, would, would stress that when the U.S. doesn't play well, he's all over them. Probably more than anyone is all over them outside of Herc Gomez and Seb Salazar you know, in, in the mainstream uh, press. Now, granted, when the U.S. play well, he's more rah-rah USA than anyone else. But there's, uh, uh, there would be – I think we would see a different lawless. Now, what would we see from Rob Stone if the U.S. were covering – if Fox were covering away matches? That's a big question, right? But I think – with Strong and Holden, uh, they're very, uh, very dialed in, and, and I think they would be pretty critical, as they have been in, in match at times. Stu Holden's been very critical at times. Yeah, it's important to note here, too, that Paramount Plus has the rights to the U.S. games, uh, the, the away games, uh, except for the, the Mexico game. And, and that's why uh, Fox and ESPN have, share, have shared a lot of the um, the actual home games too as far as that home coverage i think the next game that's coming up is the usa against panama uh at the end of march and that one's on fox i believe on that one but yeah no the thing about lalas kartik is interesting uh, because the next comment is from greg greg says regarding lalas rob stone definitely leg- loves to egg him on and they are way too broy. But don't forget that Abdo hosted him for a season or two on Fox for Bundesliga matches. My memory is a bit fuzzy, but while he was definitely a little bit less lalas with her hosting, he often uh, tried to be the clown. You could sort of see her being dismissive, which is funny given how she eggs on Carragher and uh, Micah Richards on the Champions League coverage. And what I would say, Kartik, is your previous comment too about uh, lalas being... When it needs to be critical and he needs to be kind of analytical and needs to be uh, talking about how disappointed he is with the U.S. performances, I still think it's over the top and I still think it feels fake. It feels inauthentic. It feels that he's putting on a show. Now, at the heart of his at the heart of his analysis, he's right in terms of you mean the U.S. can be doing better. You mean, but the lack of even kind of actually analytical description of, of what specifically they need to be doing is not there. He's disappointed. He wants the U.S. to win. He's USA through and through. There's no doubt. But I just feel that when he is being critical, it it's it feels fake because 
oftentimes when he's being positive, it feels fake. It it, 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 it doesn't it doesn't feel like the real him. It's just him putting on a show. And it's an extreme. He's, he's, it's, he's it's an actor, too, right? It's two extremes, right? There's no there's not any kind of like moderate analysis. Hey, they're losing, but they're playing well, and this you know this is what's going wrong type of thing, or they got unlucky uh, on this set piece. There, there's not much of that. I agree with that. And in fact, Lawless has shown he can be very analytical when he's been in the studio for Bundesliga games, as as mentioned, and uh, Champions League back in the day, where because he was a central defender, sometimes he'd make some very good points about uh, about central defenders being pulled out of position and, and maybe a foul in the area, that sort of thing. So he's capable of it. But you're right with the U.S. because he's USA through and through. It's he's he's emotional, kind of like a fan. Uh, if they're down one nil at halftime, that was garbage. That was terrible. Uh, we need subs. Uh, and then if it's if they're up one nil, oh, that was great. Uh, this shows how talented we are. Blah blah blah. So that's a good point, Chris. I mean, uh, when I say he's critical i guess he's critical in a knee-jerk way like a fan would be uh yeah. when the u.s isn't playing well yeah overall i would say that his tactical analysis is lacking and i think that's one of the reasons why you get more of the clown aspect more of the acting a- aspect where you get him kind of be either being hot or kind of over the top negative just just kind of just all out there uh because it does mask some of his lack of tactical uh, tactical um uh, reasoning or uh, analysis, really, and I think what Greg's comment too, saying about Lalas about when he was on the Bundesliga coverage, he seemed kind of boring at that point. It was, it, it was, he didn't really offer much analysis that was like, wow, that's a really, really good observation. It's all about with Lalas set plays, set plays. You mean those types of things where it's like, yeah, okay, we can see that as the viewer, we understand that, we realize that, but don't go on and on and about it because that, that's all, all you have at times. But um, yeah, I think he's got. Um, I think he could be much better than what he is. But what he is also attracts viewers. So whether you love him or you hate him, uh, we all love to talk about him. It's not like we ignore him or uh, he's always out there. But o- oftentimes, because he is front and center on Fox's coverage, and Rob Stone kind of lays up, you mean kind of the the ball, and Lalas takes it and runs with it or hits it. All right. Next up, Dave. Dave says, interesting to hear Kartik's take on the U.S. men's national team. Good points about overall talent being less than the hype. That said, I'm with Mercator in thinking U.S. men's national team is underperforming. Disappointing that there is no impetus to see a manager upgrade. U.S. men's national team in Mexico are both uh, lucky. CONCACAF is weak this cycle. Chris goes on to talk about uh, Scottish football. He says, uh, I watched the old firm derby between Celtic and Rangers last week, and the coverage provided by CBS Sports Network was excellent. It is great to see this derby finally get getting the level of coverage with both pre- and post-match shows that it deserves. When it comes to John Strong and Stu Holden, I really think that they need to leave Fox in order for us to get the best out of them in terms of analysis. If Warner Media gets the MLS or the U.S. men's national team rights in 2023, I would expect them to make a pitch to both Strong and Holden to be the lead commentary team. And I think that's a really good point. Point there, Kartik. The tough thing though is World Cup. You, you want to be, you want to do the World Cup, right? You, you don't want to miss out on doing uh, the World Cup in 2026. I think Fox might hire them as freelance if that happens. I I uh, believe. Uh, uh, to, to follow up on Chris's uh, comment here, I believe if Warner Media does get the rights, uh, uh, 
John Strong and Stu Holden would both be under very strong consideration. I mean, they would be at the top of any list uh, that uh, Turner would go after, uh, Turner Warner Media. Obviously, Holden's already worked there during Champions League, so uh, they could work out an arrangement, I'm sure, because as Fox has less and less of the club game, I think Fox has to allow for talent leaving and then potentially coming back to them for summer tournaments. Yeah, and we've seen that too with uh, Kate Abdo when she was still at Fox. She was doing uh, working for Turner, uh, doing the Champions League coverage, even though she was a Fox employee. And we saw that with uh, Moedou, who also was doing Turner and now is doing a lot of CBS. So I'm not sure if, uh, if Mo is uh, freelance or a Fox employee, but there definitely seems, seems to be kind of a willingness for Fox to go ahead and uh, ship some of that talent out to different places uh, if and when need be. And, and that could be a deal that maybe Fox does with Turner or Fox does with uh, CBS Sports, where they work out some type of agreement that's, uh, that fits uh, both of them. But yeah, no, definitely good points there too. And uh, I, I agree 100% with Chris when he says that uh, John Strong and Stu Holden um, need to leave Fox in order for us to get the best out of them in terms of analysis. But MLS season starting up uh, in a couple of weeks, um, and that's their bread and butter. Who knows how much longer they're going to have those types of games on Fox too. So a lot of it depends on Major League Soccer rights, which we should know by the end of next month where those go to for next year. If Fox misses out on a lot of that, then you I mean that could be the last uh, kind of uh, the last nail in the coffin for for you I mean so to speak in quotation marks uh, for some broadcasters or talent where they might think okay enough's enough. All right, it's time for me to look elsewhere. Next up, uh, Tim has some feedback on Peacock, and uh, he says, One aspect of Peacock's coverage of the Premier League that you seem to gloss over is the inability to go to the beginning of a game once it is in progress. I find that incredibly frustrating, uh, as if for whatever reason I'm unable to watch from the start, I'm forced to either miss part of the game or wait until some time after the game has finished. On the NBC channels, I can record and start at the beginning when I want. So this is this is a good point there from Tim. It is a developing story because it looks like uh, full DVR controls are now available in Peacock for their Olympics coverage. So even if you join a program late and it's still live, you can go back and, and rewind it to kind of go back to the beginning as well as fast forward and rewind live coverage. So that looks like it's in play, which means that it may be likely that, that those might be available for Premier League matches too, and depending on what device you use, I think with um, I think with Roku from this week from watching some games on on Peacock. Actually, was it Roku? Or was it Apple TV? One of the devices. It, it seems to be um, working where you can actually in Premier League matches rewind it. So this is incredibly frustrating because again, uh, ESPN Plus with the Bundesliga and with La Liga, I have unlimited controls. I can go back and watch things that I, that I may have missed or want to watch again. I can go back. Um, uh, I can go back and do what I need to do, and then and then with one click, I'm back live. So uh, this is something that NBC's got to get right, in my opinion, and, and it's encouraging to hear that they have. Yeah, it uh, looks like with the Olympics. Yeah, it looks like they're they're heading in the right direction. I think it looks like they're making a lot of big changes, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to the bottom of this in terms of finding out uh, all the the bells and whistles, and if we can actually experience those on Premier League matches. So we'll, I'm sure we'll we'll be reporting on that in the near future. Uh, Dave says uh, in regards to Peacock, Peacock is crushing it on the Winter Olympics. I found uh, Peacock's 2021 Summer Olympics coverage unwatchable. 
Peacock now includes almost all functionality that was in the NBC Sports app for the 2021 Olympics. Night and day, as though it's, it's run by a different company, I was already satisfied with the Peacock for the Premier League, but I'm happy to read it's better It's better and meeting others' expectations. One caution is this, that Peacock is very aggressive with ads during any down moments in Olympics coverage. For example, a skier takes out a gate and officials are resetting it. 15-second commercial, then cut right back as next skier is about to start. Same thing I'm seeing with uh, Liga MX recently, perhaps a harbinger of more ads during Premier League games when there are injuries or VAR, etc., I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. I seriously do. No, Last the peacock, but not- peacock thing is is is. Uh, I give them credit. They've even during Premier League matches, they've already kind of maximized um, the uh, the ability to, uh, to, to 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 run ads in a way that I don't think uh, uh, either um, um, either ESPN Paramount Plus. Plus or ESPN Plus have done to this point. Yeah. Sorry, I lost my train. Yeah, yeah. Well, ESPN Plus, sometimes it is it is weird that you'll see a message on the screen that says uh, commercial break in progress or something like that. And then so I, I, sometimes I wonder if it's a advertiser who's bought the rights to show that commercial on television but not on streaming. And uh, Paramount Plus is I always see the same commercials. You I mean, it's always commercial loaded, as is Peacock. But um but yeah, I think uh, Peacock's done in terms of that, in terms of rating on that side, uh, a very good, very good job as far as monetizing uh, the games that they have, and they have ad-free versions too. So that's always an option if uh, if you don't like ads, just pay a little bit more. I think uh, Peacock gets four ninety nine a month for um, got commercials now and again, or I think it's nine ninety nine uh, for ad-free. Last. But not least, there's some feedback here, Kartik, on uh, Taylor Twelman. And you mentioned in the beginning of this podcast talking about Bundesliga coverage. And uh, Ra pointed out something, too, that he saw, uh, he, or, he or she saw. Uh, uh, Ra says, the Dortmund-Leverkusen game coverage last week was great. I have criticized Taylor Twelman in the past for being annoyed by talking too much. But I have only compliments for him on this game. His comments were on point and he did not overdo it. I wonder if the issue is is the audience. He might correctly assume that uh, not too many casual fans are watching a Bundesliga match on ESPN+. You have to be knowledgeable to know when to tune in to the best match of the week. Also, no need to explain basic stuff to connoisseurs. So I I think those are good points too because... I think the stereotype of Taylor Twelman is that he's the guy that commentates MLS games. And with MLS games comes a lot of baggage. So for fans that hate MLS, don't like MLS, uh, don't like the closed system, um, and he's connected to that in terms of he's kind of ESPN's number one co-commentator for MLS. So sometimes fans of South American soccer, European soccer, you mean, African soccer might think when they hear the words Taylor Twelman, they think MLS. And sometimes I think that those negative um, connotations are put on Taylor because he does MLS games. But as you know, and as I know, he does a lot of other games. He does I mean, FA Cup games. He's done, uh, I think in the past, he's done League Cup games, Euro 2020. And of course, uh, the Bundesliga too. So it, it's good to have him on doing different games. And I think he's smart enough to know who his audience is. 
and how to adjust his commentary style to that audience because it is it is different the, the people watching an MLS game or a US men's national team game are, are very very different than someone that's watching the Dortmund Leverkusen game like yourself Kartik yeah, uh, and, and this is uh, something that I really hate about the, the way a lot of these uh, people who don't like MLS or don't like MLS, uh, American soccer, but they watch the national team, right? A lot of these people are crazy about the national team, uh, but they, they don't watch MLS, have perceived Twelman as a, quote, MLS guy, when in fact, I would put his knowledge of European football, at least some leagues, the Premier League and the Bundesliga, maybe less so La Liga, uh, uh, up against just about anyone in the U.S., so uh, I, I, it's, it's a weird uh, thing. I mean, he, he polarizes opinion, and I really cannot understand why. I think he's a guy at the very top of his profession. And uh, there are people, a lot of people who have agenda, agendas or lazy analysis, and they kind of apply this to him. Yeah, I think for the MLS, I mean, MLS is better because of him. So and him and John John Champion together doing MLS games is great for ESPN because I have to think. You I mean if it wasn't Taylor Twellman doing the MLS uh, co commentary on ESPN, who else is there that could fit into that slot? Who could be analytical? Who could be interesting to listen to? Who could offer some really good points? And Herc Gomez, I would rate up highly, but as a co commentator, not so much. I mean, his best place is in the studio. Um, even going back to what you said at the beginning of the podcast with Arlo White, I think Arlo is better in the studio than doing commentary. That's my I own agree. personal opinion. In fact, in fact, I mean, the the thing that everybody loves Rebecca Lowe, but I actually, I actually like when Arlo White hosts when he's the presenter, as he is this week. Yeah, I think in an ideal world, we have both of them. We have, you mean, kind of them sharing that role and... I mean, when when she's not available, which is oftentimes on kind of those Monday games or the Friday games, uh, to have someone like Ola. But obviously, Ola lives in the UK. But but in this case, for going back to ESPN, is that there's not a lot of really really good US co-commentators, and we saw that with the US coverage uh, from ESPN, Fox, and CBS. Uh, Casey Keller's good, but I think Casey would be better on Bundesliga games, uh, and. You mean, I'm trying to think of other people. You mean, Stu Holden is good, but could he be as good doing MLS games for ESPN? Obviously, he does ESPN games for um, Fox games, MLS games for Fox. But I don't think he's, I don't know. Taylor Twelman, I would say, is much, much better than Stu Holden right now in terms of analysis. And I think Stu's got a ways to go, even though he is good and one of the rising stars at Fox Sports. All right, lots of opinions offered, uh, and these are personal opinions too. These are things that we share from watching Kartik. The other day, I I I tried to when we talked about podcast numbers, we had you know, almost fourteen hundred podcast episodes, which is crazy. But I tried to try to figure out how many games a season I watch, how many games a year I watch, and it's over a thousand. Because I was figuring out how many day, how many games on a, on a typical day am I watching. Sometimes it's three to four. Sometimes it's more than that. Uh, sometimes I have two games on at once. And I did the numbers. And I was like, it's over a thousand games. So, so these types of things are things that we're sharing based on our own personal opinions of watching the game, watching over a thousand games a, a year uh, out of the 3,000 that are available. So, uh, so I'm sure that not everyone agrees with us. But whether you do or don't, 
or if you've got something you want to ask us, we'd love to uh, hear from you. Uh, you can always reach out to us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Next week, we've got a huge, 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 huge announcement from World Soccer Talk. So I'm not going to give any clues or anything like that, but definitely stay tuned uh, to both the podcast and the website and social media. Uh, I've got some huge news to share next week. So so stay tuned for that. Kartik, uh, listeners, uh, where can they uh, contact you via Twitter? Uh, it's KKFLA737, and stay tuned for that huge announcement from World Soccer Talk. Also, uh, understand there will be a major announcement from uh, the Seattle Sounders next week, uh, for those who uh, may not be uh, paying that close attention to MLS in the preseason. So uh, look out for that as well. All right. I've got to talk about the Seattle announcement. Do you have any idea what it is, Kantik? Do you have any uh, intel? You, you don't have to tell me if you, if you, if you do I, I don't have any. I have, I've tried to get some intel. I don't have it other than being told it's going to be really big. So um, I don't know if it's, if it's some sort of big shirt sponsor or if they've got a DP coming in, although I would think that would leak, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, again, we have a couple days until that announcement, so I'm, I'm still trying to find out what it is. But it's been built up and because it's seattle and uh for those of you who don't maybe know kind of the history of seattle seattle uh is not like some other mls teams that constantly builds up oh we got this huge announcement and then the huge announcement is we're doing a contest on twitter no it's they're they're very (laughs) judicious about how and when they tease big news so i'm expecting it to be something very big yeah see when i saw the press release that mentions that they're going to have a big announcement the way I took it was it was going to be bad news. It was going to be something serious, something kind of like just um, you mean it's a, whatever it is. I had no, I have no idea what ownership it is. change, some sort of yeah, some something that could be like wow, okay, is that good news or not? I mean that that's just my take on, on when I read it. Just to, I, I guess I'm reading into it. Uh, World Soccer Talks news is going to be positive. I guess I can say that. But Seattle Sanders, yeah, I'm curious to see what what it is. That's uh, that possible because, like I said, the reason why it caught it's caught my attention, and I've started calling people to try and find out what it is, is because uh, they don't do that often as an organization. Seattle, they're very very judicious right. in how they tease things. So yeah, it very well could be something very bad uh, that we do, that they're they're getting out there. So we'll see. Yeah, and don't forget too, Kartik's got uh, a lot of Twitter spaces uh, happening too if you do follow him, as well as an interesting discussion uh, from this past week about Brighton and Hove Albion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, for those who haven't paid attention to my Twitter, this happened three months ago or four months ago when a bunch of US fans, uh, or sorry, MLS fans said they had seen Brighton play and uh, the top teams in MLS, they would be better than Brighton. And Chris Kessel and I jumped in and then it became a big to do huge thing on Twitter to the point where I muted the discussion. And then when I unmuted it, I had like there were like 100 mentions. And so three months later, because The Athletic has done this really cool thing with sort of heat maps and possession uh, that they that they uh, unveiled this week. And I saw outside the top teams, Brighton keeps the ball in more dangerous areas than anyone. In the Premier League, yep. uh, other than maybe Leeds, right? Leeds would be the other one, but we, we know it would be Elsa's reputation. Um, I just brought the issue back up again. And this time, the MLS fans, for the most part, were disarmed and didn't get involved. And it just got a lot of, uh, got of enge- lot of engagement from people who were saying, yeah, how could anyone think that Brighton was uh, – MLS teams were better than Brighton? 
Well, that's the thing, though, too. I mean, I mean, just one more thing about that uh, that graphic that came out from the the Athletic this week, and it was a graphic really, really well done, very simple that showed um, the top teams, uh, the, the teams in the Premier League, and which parts of the pitch pitch um, they have the most touches in uh, compared to the opposition, and which so effectively which parts of the pitch do they control? And and you did see some teams like like Burnley. Um, you mean basically almost the entire pitch was uh, kind of possession wise was uh, on the other on their opponents, not in their their own possession. I would say though, however, Kartik, I think it's misleading the whole kind of uh, kind of premise of that graphic because it was based on number of touches um, compared to the opposition in each part of the pitch. And as a fan myself of Swansea City who are a possession-based team. And actually, I think in the last few months, um, the top three teams in world soccer with the best possession stats, I think number one was, um, I think it was Barcelona. I think Barcelona was number one. Uh, number three was PSG, uh, which PSG, you, could, you can imagine too, in terms of uh, Ligue 1, kind of just really monopolizing that league. Barcelona still kind of, you know, being kind of still playing that type of style for the most part. Number two was Swansea City. And, Swansea City, even though we have possession, and this could go for any any team, even though that you have a lot of possession, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you are better than the opposition. It just means that you're you mean, maintaining possession of the ball. You might not be doing much with it. Um, so I think it'd be interesting to see what Swansea's graphic would look like because it probably would show that they kind of have control in almost all areas of the pitch, except probably in their own penalty area defensively or even in the Poland penalty area they might have uh, kind of a lot of possession there too from playing the style of play that they do but um that was my that was my take when i saw that graphic but it is interesting and it's definitely worth seeking out all right listeners thank you for listening you can get a new episode of the world soccer talk podcast every thursday as well as on mondays we have the episodes with kyle fansler and oftentimes either interviews or discussions about big topics. Every episode is released on Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media, and we'd really appreciate it if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. In Kartik, heading into another week, a big week from football around the world, uh, what should the listeners do and what are you going to do? Enjoy your football. <laughs> <laughs>